Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So today we begin a new conversation, a new series of sermons uh, for the next few weeks entitled Epic Fail. And we're going to talk more about what that means and we're going to step into it and, and, and live into that theme a little more every week. But for now, let me get you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we're going to do scripture a little differently today in that we typically read it first and then we dive into the text that's been read. But today I just want you to find the text first. And it's going to be in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse, um, I don't know, 25 or so. And then we'll skip over to chapter 12 around verse 7. So if you'll just mark the text, we're going to get into the text when we're in the midst of the sermon itself. Fair enough? Because I want to start by telling you that when I was a senior in college, ages ago, I was asked to preach one Sunday at the French Broad Baptist Church in Dandridge, Tennessee. What a cool name for a church, the French Broad Baptist Church. It started by a family from Paris, but that's another story altogether. At the French Broad Baptist Church, I was asked to come, and that's not unusual because they would ask the religion students at Carson Newman from time to time to supply a preach. If the preacher was on vacation, the pastor was out of town, and it was not unusual, but this time I had a date. I had a date. My future wife, Laura, went with me that day. I asked her if she would go with me to church, and I had to preach, and would you come along with me? I think it would be great. And she said yes, and I drove my car at the time, which was a 1972 Super Beetle. Yeah. It was sparkling gold with a racing stripe right along the side. It was bad. And I decided to prepare for the sermon. I mean, I really wanted to give it to them. So I prepared by using a prop. I know it's hard to believe that I used a prop. But I created, I constructed an eight-foot cross an eight-foot-tall cross. It was mammoth. It was behemoth. It was huge. I drove a 1972 Super Beetle, which meant that I had to take the cross and stick it through the window and drive out to the French Broad Baptist Church in Dandridge. We got there. I set it up, and I went to preaching, and, I, man, I gave it to them. I gave them all I had. I emptied the arsenal. I didn't, it wasn't a big arsenal. <laughs> But I gave him everything I could, and I preached from that great text in Hebrews 9 where we, where we learn about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and how his one-time sacrifice was enough once and for all, and that great phrase that keeps repeating through Hebrews, once and for all. And so I constructed this sermon that I thought was absolutely brilliant. 
A sermon that had three movements to it. Once for all. And so my argument throughout the sermon was that his death on the cross was enough once for all sin, once for all people, and once for all time. I mean, on paper, it looked great. It really was going to sail. And so I gave it to him. I gave him everything that I had, and I was preaching my guts out. I was preaching my heart out. And I had this cross here behind me. And I brought a stack of yellow sticky notes, you know, little post-it notes. And so each time I would talk about sin, I'd talk about different sins, and I'd put on the cross a variety of all the different sins that we struggle with, and I covered it with yellow sticky notes. And then I'd say, once, for all sin, and I'd knock it off. And all the sticky notes would come cascading down to the floor. It was, it was a work of art. And I looked out into the audience, into the, into the congregation, you know what I got back? Crickets. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, I literally, I was preaching my heart out, and no kidding, in the back of the room, two people were fast asleep. They were like in, in REM sleep, like the fourth stage down where you're dreaming, they're twitching, you know, they're having, it's a really good sleep, but I, so I didn't want to disturb them. And I'm not kidding you, Bob, the organist, I, I, my hand, I, the organist, sat on the front row, and I, I, I promise you she was making a grocery list <laughs> during the sermon. It was bad. It was bad. And I, so I tried harder. I, I, dug, I dug hard. And so I said, what, what you don't understand? I said, y'all don't, y'all don't feel me. Y'all don't feel me. What you understand is even if you got this one sin out here and you, and, and, and you, you die before you have a chance to confess it, even then because of the sacrifice of Christ, it's It's forgiven. I can tell you're impressed too. <laughs> try to contain your enthusiasm. So, so at this point, I'm desperate, and I and I look down for reassurance from my date, who who would be my future bride, my partner in life, my my steadying uh, stabilizer for the rest of the journey. I look down, and she's on the front row, row, and I, and I kid you not, I'm, I'm I'm struggling, and I look at her, and this is her reaction. Yeah. <laughs> She wanted to help, but she, she, so I stopped this. We finished, I wrapped it up. We sang, took the cross back in the 72 Super Beetle, sticking out the sides of the windows. We began to drive away. It's very awkwardly silent as we're driving away. And, and I think they were still, they still hadn't paved their driveway, their, their parking lot, because in the back, I recall seeing like the cloud coming up as I'm driving away, you know, puttering away and no kidding this was my wife to be well I think that went well <laughs> just 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 epic fail epic fail this week I've been thinking about all the ways that I have epically failed over my life and the list my friends <laughs> I mean, it, go, it started, I, I, I recalled, in second grade. I was thinking about my second grade performance at the school play. I was Mork from Ork. <laughs> Anybody remember Mork from Ork? 
Mm-hmm. And he was the alien who came to earth, and, and when he sat down on the couch or the chair, he would sit by, you know, sitting on his head. He'd stand on his head, feet go up in the air, and that's how he sat. And so I practiced it for weeks. Practiced it for weeks, had it down pat. And the day of the performance came, entire student body in the audience or the auditorium. I come out for my grand entrance and, and I walk over to the chair where I had practiced and, and suddenly life would begin in slow motion because I recognized that somebody had changed the chair. It was not that, that chair I had practiced with that was that had its weight equally distributed on all four legs. It was one of those old-fashioned desks, those school desks, heavy wood and metal, front heavy. So as I'm walking over, I'm thinking, I shouldn't do this. This is not going to work. In my mind, this is the internal dialogue. This is not going to work. This is going to be bad. But my inner thespian said, the show must go on. And so I, I moved forward, and I still, to this day, recall telling myself, don't do it. Don't do it. But I... I put my head down, feet up in the air, and the thing tipped, and I went spread eagle over the entire stage, and the entire student body erupted with laughter. Epic fail. Epic fail. I remember meeting my youth group when I was a youth pastor for the very first time in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and they had this play, this musical, and and, and I was there, and, and we were meeting all the parents, and after the play... This one woman came to me, and her name is Wynn Roos. It's a great name. Wynn Roos came up, and, and she said, hey, I'm, I'm John's mother. John is the one who played the part of the thing on the stage. And, and, and when Wynn came up to me, she was wearing this beautiful dress that had an empire waist on it. An empire waist, guys, is, you know, it's got this it's here, and it kind of flows nice and wide, flowing down below. And so when she said, I'm Wynn Roos, I said, good to meet you, Ms. Roos. Who's your son? My son is John, who played the thing. Oh, good. That's great. He did a great job. And is John expecting a little sister or a little brother? <laughs> God. God. She said, neither. And at the time, I did not know the the first rule of digging holes, which is stop digging. (laughs) So I said, oh, you haven't found the gender of your baby yet? (laughs) Epic fail. Sooner or later, we all lose it we all blow it and it's big and sometimes it's the source of laughter and other times there's no laughter whatsoever and you know what I'm talking about we can come to a place where we just absolutely did I just do that did I just how in the world did I get here and I want us to talk about that about failure because you and I live not only at a time but in an era or an an area in which let's be honest failure is not an option We live in such a hyper-perfectionistic culture that we assume that power and strength and perfection and victory is all our options. Therefore, we are so afraid of failing at something 
that sometimes we will never even risk the basic risks that are necessary to do life. We won't risk relationship. We won't risk going to school. We won't risk starting a career or joining a church. We won't risk the things necessary to just do life because we are afraid of failing. And and in this culture and at this time, I just can't handle that kind of public shaming. Or it may be that some muster the courage to take the basic risks to do life, but when failure comes, it crushes us. And life is just fragmented, and and we're so devastated that we just want to find a hole somewhere and crawl in it and disappear and not be seen by anybody. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if we were able to talk about our vulnerabilities and our failures? What if we were able to to welcome our weaknesses? Because truth be known, it's not our perfections that draw us to each other. Can I just say it that way? It's not our perfections that draw us to each other. I mean, if I stood up here every week and told you great stories about all the great things that I've done, It would not only be a very short sermon, (laughs) but how ridiculous and boring and untruthful that would be. Isn't it irritating to listen to someone who is always the hero of his or her own story? That's not what connects us. What connects us to each other is when we get in touch, when when we tap into the human raw brokenness that we all share. Because in that moment, when we recognize something authentic about another, it gives us permission to be authentic ourselves. And therein is our freedom. That's what I want to talk about for the next few weeks, about how can we look at failure through a different set of eyes? Because uh, a lot of times you and I think of failure as an obstacle, something that gets in the way of where we're going. But I want to proclaim, I want to lay down the truth that failure is not an obstacle in your spiritual journey. Failure is an avenue to it. It's in the midst of failure. It's, it's, not, it's not an obstacle, it's an avenue. Or you may put it this way. It's not an impediment. It's a pathway. Your failure, despite how, how difficult it is to believe it, your failure is the pathway to becoming who it is God desires for you to become. Because there is something that happens in the heart of our failure that cannot happen at any other time. When we are at the heart of a failed thing and something has fallen apart and we have broken it and we have lost our grip, when we are at the heart of failure, we have the opportunity to experience the love and the action of God in a way that is unlike any other time when things are going just fine. Can we talk about that for a while? See, I think, I think the Apostle Paul would agree that that's how it works. That's how failure is. At the heart of failure is an opportunity to see and experience the love and action of God unlike any other time when things are just sailing. The text that I called your attention to a moment ago, I'm going to have it on the screen so you can follow along in your text or read it along with me silently as I read it here. Because Paul, let me set this up for just a minute, Gene. What Paul is doing is he's always having to be on guard with his his reputation. And he's making an argument that he too is a credible apostle. 
he's always got some baggage about that because he never can seem to, uh, I don't know, size up to the other apostles and their reputation because he never walked alongside Jesus. He wasn't there by the sea. He wasn't there at the crucifixion. You know, Paul was the one who kind of came late to the game, so he's always making this argument, bragging about stuff that gives him a sense of credibility. Well, I'm an apostle too, all the way. I'm as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he knows something about boasting and bragging. Now, that's something that we don't know anything about in this room, I know. I know that that's something that's very hard to translate, but in some places, some people actually brag about the stuff they have and what they've accomplished and what they can do and how well their kids are doing in school. I know that never happens here. It may be hard to understand what I'm talking about, but Paul understood that the part of the human gene is that we brag about what we're proud of. But he does something in this text that flips that upside down. <laughs> he recognizes that the thing he is most proud of, the thing that he wants to boast mostly of is not all his successes, not all the moments when things went well, when things uh, succeeded and when he won, but he starts to brag about all the things that went wrong. And the reason is because in those things, in those moments, he saw him like he had never seen him before. Listen to his own words. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and embarrassingly naked, and there, besides all of these other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then jumping to chapter 12, verse 7. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, or we might even say, with epic failures for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is a powerful text from the Apostle Paul. And he says, if there's one thing worth bragging about, it's all the places where we have lost it, all the places where it has fallen apart, and the money verse is in verse 30. Check this one out. We read it a moment ago. If I must boast, I must boast of the things that show my weakness. Do you realize how absurd that sounds to our contemporary ears? I mean, when was the last time sitting around at, at your neighborhood get-together 
or sitting in the stands watching your kids on the soccer field. When was the last time you said, all right, hey girls, let me just gather around. I want you to know uh, that I have absolutely blown it. I mean, can you imagine what it would sound like to say to them, you know what, you may have the schedule worked out and there's ballet Tuesday and soccer Wednesday and Thursday there's violin and everything's great and your husband's just happy and you're just beautiful and you know not an ounce of fat on you and and you're just working out and everything's your your car's clean there's nothing rolling around in the floorboard of the car what's wrong and it's perfect but I just want you to know that that I'm not there that I'm not there and it's heavy you see this is this is foreign to us to boast in the things that show our weakness. But the reason Paul does it is because Paul knows something about the nature and the character of failure. That at the heart of failure, failure offers us something that success never could. <laughs> failure offers us, us, offers us something, and that is that failure creates within us a kind of venue, a space in our lives. A space where the love and action of God is able to be demonstrated. Unlike any other time when things go well, failure is a gift in that way. (laughs) Painful to hear it that way. And you can't hear it that way when you're in the midst of it. But failure offers us a venue in the soul, a space. You might even say it this way. Offers you a space for God to show up and show off. Because in that moment when you have lost all control and when you have no other options and when you are at the the wit's end, you recognize that your help is going to have to come from some source beyond you. And when you get to that place, and you recognize that your only help and your only hope is the Lord, then you're in the posture of true transformation you might even put it this way (laughs) failure creates a space for grace most of the time we got it I got this under control I'll figure it out may not have it figured out right now but I got this it's under control I got the wheel in my hand it's all going to be just fine but as long as everything is just fine there's no room for grace Failure creates a space for grace. Do you know anybody who is not good at taking grace? You, you ask them, hey, can I help you with this thing? No, nah, I'm good. I got this. I got this. But you've been through a lot, and you've got a, a load that you're carrying. Can I just somehow help you carry one part of it? No, nah, nah, I'm good. Thanks. Nice to ask. Very kind of you, but I'm good. Most of the time, those who struggle with receiving grace from other people or from God, they reveal that they have a deep-seated fear of failure but do you know what the apostle Paul demonstrates he says not me happy to show you because Paul knew that his best stories are in his failures his best stories in fact he says oh you were asking about the scars on my back let me tell you that's a great story that's where the, the, they, they gave me these lashings, and they, by law, they're not able to give me um, more than 40, so they stop at 39 in case one of them miscounted, 
And so they did that five times. So the 195 stripes that you still see on my back, <laughs> that's because I stopped and I wouldn't stop talking about this one who's, who's changed everything. Now that's a story. Or, or this one here, you see this mark on my knee here? You see it, it, it hasn't gone away. That's where I scraped myself on the way out of the ship as it was sinking and I was bleeding there in the water for three days. I didn't know if I would make it or not. And the conversations we had floating on that piece of debris, you would not believe. Let me tell you, that's a story. And here I am. Oh, yeah, yeah, the mark you're looking at my eye, the mark that I have here, the scar is still there because that's, whew, that's a story. Because that's when I went to Lystra, and I went to Lystra, and they stoned me. Yeah, right, bad day. They stoned me, and here's how they did it. They did it. This is how they stoned everybody. They took me to a cliff and threw me off the cliff. That's how they did this, right? And if you don't die... Well, then they start throwing rocks at you until you stop moving, and that's what apparently they did. They threw me off. I remember that, and then I didn't remember anything else after that. I must have blacked out or something because I woke up later, and nobody was there. They kind of assumed that I was dead, and so I got up, and, and I moved on. I said, that's a good, that's a good story. It's a good story made possible only because of his weakness, made possible only because something broke, made possible only because... He recognized there was a moment in which he had no other options but the Lord. When you get to that place and you recognize there is no help but the one that comes from him, then it puts you in a posture for true transformation. Can I ask you this question? When was the last time that you were acutely aware that your only hope for repair was God? When was the last time that you were acutely aware that you're out of options, your, your pros and cons list is no good to you anymore, your, your, the self-help that you downloaded on iBooks is not good for you anymore, the advice from friends, it's run its course. When was the last time you were acutely aware that if I'm, I'm going to get out of this, it, it, it's got to move beyond me? Because when you get to that place in the midst of failure, you're in a posture where you are ready for God to show up and show off. Because God will come to you in the midst of your most embarrassing failure. Don't forget that's how God always comes. The only reason we have a story and keep talking about it regarding Jesus and the cross and the resurrection is because God chose to come to us in the midst of our brokenness, suffering on a cross. And in the midst of that kind of abject human despair, which from the outside looked like absolute failure, in the midst of it, he meets us and raises us up to something brand new, something better, something more hopeful. And I don't know if you need to hear this today or not, but it may be that wherever you are in the failure that you most recently came out of, or maybe you're currently still in, maybe you need to hear this, that God does not despise you because of your failure. But rather, God meets you in the midst of it and is working to raise you up from it. That's how God works. That's why the... Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, the Bishop of Hippo, St. Augustine, put it this way. In my deepest wound, I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. 
Is it possible for you to begin thinking about the scars that you bear, your woundedness from the thing that happened, from where it all fell apart? You've got a wound and it's still there and, and, and it's not going away. Is it possible for you to look into that wound and see the love and action of God and to be bedazzled by it? Richard Rohr puts it this way. He says, Give me your failure, God says. I will make a life out of it. Give me your broken, disfigured, rejected, betrayed body like the one you see hanging on the cross, and I will make a life out of it. It's the divine pattern of transformation. And I just wonder if there's somebody here today who is ready to give to God the pieces of your life that have fallen apart, the failure? Is it possible that you're willing to become as vulnerable as a cooing baby, as one who cries, one who is not perfected, one who is aware that she or he is not perfected, but is acutely aware of the one who is trying to perfect something in us? If that's the case today, then when we sing in just a moment, I, I, I want to issue an invitation to you that while we're singing, yeah, to come as a vulnerable baby before God and say to God, I've blown it and you're my only help. Let's pray together. God, today we, we do pray that you would give the courage it takes to someone today to give you the broken pieces, to, to give you the failures that have disappointed so deeply so that you can show up and show off, so that you can do something out of the life that has disappointed us. Will you redeem? Will you reconcile? Will you repair us? Come now, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.